You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumpacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome back to Talk Back, the Dramatist Guild's podcast about building the theater we want to see. I'm your host, Christine Toy Johnson. This season is all about collaboration. In this episode, we'll hear from artistic leaders from two theater companies that approach centering artists with disabilities in different ways. I'll speak with Nicholas Vaselli from Theater Breaking Through Barriers, a company that has been doing this work since 1979. I'm also joined by Sarah Hom and Anna Morton from the Roundabout Theater Company, an institution that has been working hard this year to expand their programming to be more intentionally inclusive. Hi, I'm Sarah Hom, Roundabout Theater Company's Director of Audience Services. Roundabout Theater Company is one of the nation's largest not-for-profit theater companies. We're located in New York, and we make our home on five different stages. We have three Broadway and uh, two off-Broadway, and we produce a full season of work that includes both revivals and new works. And in addition to that, we also have a robust education program that does training for building the future workforce of the theater, as well as in the New York City school system. Hi, I'm Anna Morton, Roundabout Theater Company's Literary Manager. Hi, good morning, everyone. My name is Nicholas Vaselli. I'm the Producing Artistic Director of Theater Breaking Through Barriers here in New York City. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am really excited to ask you about some new programs that your theaters have created, I think especially during the pandemic, and specifically the programs that you've created to make space for works by, for, and about artists with disabilities. I'd love to start with Sarah and Anna. Can you please tell us about your Reverb Theater Arts Festival? Sarah. Uh, yes, absolutely. So Reverb Theater Arts Festival was conceived as part of our community partnerships work that we were doing in support of our relaxed performances. And we had partnered with uh, several different organizations, Action Play, Epic Players, CoLab, and Dream Street. And we had been thinking about what more we could be doing with the disabled community. And so we partnered with one additional group, the Arts for All Abilities Consortium, and 
realized that maybe what we wanted to do was put together a festival of works featuring artists with disabilities. And that's kind of how the Reverb Festival came together. Originally, we had thought about doing it in person and then COVID hit, so we went all digital. How did the program change once it moved uh, to being virtual? It allowed us to really open it up to a lot more people, for starters. Before we were looking, all of the organizations that we were working with all focus and are based in the New York area, ourselves included. And what this allowed us to do is when we opened it up and requested submissions, we got 80 submissions from across the country and a few from the UK. And it also allowed us to work with collaborators and artists who were not New York based. We really were able to cast a wide net and and really expand the community that we were able to, to bring in. It was important for us to have a wide spectrum of disability represented in this festival because of all of the organizations that we were working with, that's something that we're very cognizant of going forward and something that we hope to hope to really work on for future festivals and future iterations of the Reverb Festival. Thank you. I'd love to know more about the nuts and bolts of the festival, what the what the process was and what were what did you end up presenting to the public? Out of the 80 submissions that we received, we selected 24 to be presented as part of the final festival. And again, because this was specifically for artists with disabilities, we wanted to make sure that the final festival presentation was as accessible as possible. So that meant that we also needed to make sure that the Final video was captioned and audio described and sign interpreted. And so it was it was a lot of moving pieces and it was a lot of of planning and it was sort of a, a real race to the finish there. But we we ultimately got it done in the end. That's great. And Anna, could you tell me about how it was to be introduced to so many more artists with disabilities or or were you were you surprised at how many new artists with disabilities you were able to meet through this program so one of the things that my myself and our associate artistic director Jill Raffson were pleased to sort of help out with at the very beginning was as Sarah mentioned there were some some partnerships within the festival of folks who we had been working with before. And so we were able to to provide some names of artists who we already knew to partner with some of the featured artists in the festival, folks that we had worked with on stage and elsewhere who had connections in the disability community. And then to be able to kind of get to know these folks, some of whom were actually people who I had maybe encountered in other capacities and then to be able to see their work in the festival was really exciting. And other folks who I've noticed as, you know, sometimes that that phenomenon where once you see someone's name or you hear a new word, then you're noticing them all over. And I feel like that's been happening to me. I've noticed that with this festival in particular, that I'll be reading through announcements or, you know, lists of names for folks who are applying for different programs at Roundabout and noticing folks who who were featured in the Reverb Festival. So that's been exciting and has just sort of opened up myself. And also, I mean, I think this was the whole, the hope with the festival to sort of see the different talents that these artists have to offer because some of the contexts I'm seeing them in are not 
even necessarily the artistry that they were sharing in the festival, if that makes sense. Right. Thank you. I'm going to come back to you uh, both, but I'm going to ask Nicholas uh, about the virtual Playmakers Intensive that Theatre Breaking Through Barriers uh, held this summer. I'd love to know anything you want to tell us about that, Nicholas. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Um, I, I would I want to answer your question. But before I do, can I just give you a little bit of a history of our company? Oh, please. Because yes. a lot of a lot of people don't know us or don't realize <laughs> that we've been here for quite a long time. Theater, theater Breaking Through Barriers is the only company that's working on an off-Broadway contract on an off-Broadway level that is dedicated to advancing the work of professional writers, directors, actors, technicians with disabilities. We were, we were founded in 1979 as Theater by the Blind, but in 2008 we expanded our mission to include artists and performers of all abilities and disabilities. As far as our Playmakers Intensive is concerned, we actually began this shortly after the pandemic started. Uh, since 2011, we were doing what we called our Playmakers Intensive, and we would, we would do it every year. It was an annual event where we would gather together a group of artists, directors, uh, and actors, disabled and non-disabled. And it, it became sort of like a I would say sort of like a 24-hour play festival where we would randomly pair people into groups. A writer would choose the name of a director, a director would choose the name of several actors, and then that group would have uh, a one week to create, rehearse, and then perform an original short play. It's a very successful program for us because it really allows true collaboration and it allows artists to work with many other artists whom they've never worked with before. When the pandemic hit, we were, of course, like all theaters, struggling to figure out what we could produce that we could keep our artists active and also stay connected with our audiences. So we decided we would try doing a Playmakers Intensive virtually. And so we did our first one last May. Uh, I will be honest with you, I didn't think that it was going to be successful. I, feel, I always felt that it's the energy in the room that helps to generate all of the, the the work that ultimately was produced. But I was so pleasantly uh, surprised and uh, thrilled to say I was dead wrong about that. We we did our first intensive and the, the energy and the enthusiasm that we always were able to generate in the room live, we were able to duplicate online. So what we did was rather than when we would present them, normally we'd present them the live shows to an invited audience over the course of an afternoon, but we chose to present one play every evening and stream it live over our uh, social media platforms, Facebook and YouTube. So it really indeed was live performances and it was all original work that was created specifically for the intensive, for the artists that were presenting it. That's wonderful. Did you find that your a uh, pool of artists as well as your audience was able to expand because you were doing it online and so that you you could get more people almost definitely doing the work virtually was truly a revelation for us because we discovered one that we could because artists can work wherever they happen to be it allowed us to really reach out to many many more artists and we were able to work with artists 
who were in all parts of the world, disabled and non-disabled, because we were able to stream live, those, those casts went out to everyone in the world. So we had people watching in, in Asia, in Australia, all over the place. It, it really was a game changer for us in so many ways. That's fantastic. I want to ask this question of all three of you about how technology helped or enhanced or didn't help or enhance the accessibility aspect for your artists and your audiences. Did you find any new uh, techniques or tools to help with the accessibility for your audiences and, and uh, artists? Nicholas? Working virtually is for our disabled artists, it's wonderful because, again, they don't have to leave home. Mm -hmm. They can work from home. It's also a great equalizer because I, if, if you have a, a visible or physical disability, people notice it immediately and they automatically make decisions uh, and assessments about you based on that disability. Mm -hmm. But when you're performing online, generally you're only seeing people from the shoulders up. And it's not that disability is hidden but it really does give an opportunity for the, art, for the artists to really reveal themselves as artists first and foremost. Right, fantastic. Sarah and or Anna, did you discover any new tools to help with the accessibility factor? This is Sarah. I really want to echo some of what Nicholas just said about presenting these pieces online in, in a tiny little box, it really did mean that you weren't always first going to the features of someone's disability, uh, a cane, for example, which I walk with, or a wheelchair, or, or what have you, and that it really did help focus it on the artistry, which made it less about stories about disabilities and really just they became human stories, which ultimately they are and they should be, and and that should be the focus. And as far as accessibility goes, you know, living with a disability, you're always looking at innovation in whatever form that you can because the world isn't necessarily made for you. And so that was the interesting part about switching from looking at an in-person format to a, a digital format is that there were some things that, that really would have worked in person that, and were created and meant to be in person. And then folks ended up having to reconceive how their, how their pieces were. Adaptability is a word that comes up a lot in the disability community. And, and that I think was really something that came through with the festival was it was about adaptability. And Anna, can you please tell us about the Roundabout's Refocus initiative? So the Refocus project came out of an examination of the question of what a classic play is and who gets to decide and define a classic or what is included in the canon. And Roundabout is a company that was founded to produce revivals. And so over the many years that um, we've been around, we have produced many uh, of the plays that have come to be considered classics. And so as we look at our history and think about how we have contributed to defining what those classics are, 
we have we thought that perhaps we should be taking the spotlight that we have and shining it on some plays that were not included in the canon that we think of right now, but should be, but are canon plays and are classics, but have not been traditionally considered classics by the predominantly white theatrical establishment in this country. The idea is that this will continue over many years. This year, it was a reading series of five plays and then some supplemental programming. And then, so each year we'll have another reading series and focus on a different community. Next year, we're going to be focusing on writers um, from the Latinx community. And ideally, some of the plays that we do in the readings uh, ultimately will appear on our stages and other stages as well. So hopefully it will just get bigger and bigger as time goes on, and then we will be able to actually produce some of these plays and, and give them full Broadway revivals or revivals elsewhere so that they kind of come back into the, the cultural conversation. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to Talk Back. Today, we're focusing on collaborating with the disability community. During our interview, I asked Roundabout's Anna Morton about engaging writers and actors with disabilities. Here's Anna. I think similar to what Sarah said earlier, there are some ways in which, you know, this was a first, our first year and some ways that we could have kind of focused on some more intersectionality within the program that we did have this year. And I think one of the things that's great about starting something that you're able to do again in the future is that that is something that we can hopefully improve upon as the years go by. One of the things that we have talked about is how do we continue our connections with that community moving forward, even when maybe the next year the reading series is focusing on artists from different backgrounds. But we're not necessarily always going to be looking at a certain racial background or ethnic background, cultural background. So I think it is possible that one of the things we've discussed is potentially having a year where we're focusing on playwrights from the disability community. That being said, I also think that in a sort of intersectional mindset, it, that doesn't mean that that should should be or would be the only moment that we would focus on those um, artists. And that I think there are many ways in which we can incorporate actors or writers or directors from the disability community into our other programming in future years where we are, you know, focusing on Latinx writers. And then how do we bring in folks from the Latinx community with a disability into that programming as well? So there's a lot of opportunity in the future to um, build upon that. And I'm hoping that that's something that we, that we do as we move forward. Yes, that, that's wonderful. I also wanted to know how you envision finding the, the people that you don't know, bringing them in, welcoming them in. How do you envision engaging with, with a, a wider community? Yeah, that's a, such a great question. I actually had spent some time over the summer and last spring, meeting with folks, not necessarily even with Refocus in mind, but just meeting with some artists that I hadn't been able to connect with yet in that kind of moment where we were all over Zoom and going, oh, I can actually have this meeting with that director from LA who, you know, I we had been saying one day we'll be at a conference together and we'll get to have coffee. But breaking down those, those um, geographical barriers meant that some of those folks then we ended up... Um, connecting with specifically for Refocus because we had had a great meeting in April and I thought maybe they'd be a great fit to direct one of the readings we were doing. So so that was something that I think I really appreciated about the virtual moment that as others have said in this conversation, we were just able to 
work with people from uh, so much further away than we normally are. I think, you know, there, there are so many different paths I could go down as a dramaturg and literary manager about sort of the finding of the plays themselves, mm -hmm. because that was a whole research right. project that was wild and a lot of fun. But sometimes actually getting your hands on these plays, particularly in a pandemic, was difficult. But that's something that we are really looking at also in future years, making sure that we're working directly with artists from the community that we are celebrating and uplifting each year because, they, you know, they will have a much better sense of what we should be looking at than I will if I'm not a part of that community. So this year, because we were looking at Black American writers, and I had a, some background in, in that because that is my background, I think that was that was easier for me in some ways than it might be in the future if we're looking at a background that I'm not a part of. Thank you. I want to go back to Nicholas and ask about your community, how people find you, how you find each other, and if that has changed over this past year and a half. Wow, Christine, it actually has, I mean, considerably. I think I, there's so much, there's so much to, to talk about here. As a, as a theater company, it's our goal to alter the perceptions of disability in our world by, by really sort of not only celebrating our artists, but really how should I say, mainstreaming or normalizing mm. the concept of disability in our world. In order to accomplish that, we have to cast a wide net. We have to reach out to everyone in, our, in, every, in, in all parts of our community, not only to, to fulfill that mission, but to, to make our, our audiences realize and our artists realize that we are speaking to them and for them. Disability is the only diversity that exists in all other diversities. I feel that it gives us an opportunity to, to create a, a common ground, a place where we can all meet and work together. So it becomes so important for us to be able to do that. During the last summer, again, we, we wanted to really start working with a larger group of artists that, many artists that we had never worked with before. So the way I did that was to reach out to all of the artists that I knew and ask them uh, if they could suggest people. And certainly that that's what happened. So we suddenly we started working with new artists and then those artists started introducing us to other artists, writers, directors, and actors. This is not just exclusive to one particular group. So in the course of this year, we did five virtual playmakers intensives. We created over 74 original short plays that were written wow. ex expressly for our artists. And we worked with over 270 artists in the course fantastic, of the year. Fantastic, fantastic. How does that compare to, say, um, 2019? <laughs> so in the course of a year, if we are able to reach an audience of somewhere between 3,000 and 5,000 people, that's a good year for us. And mm -hmm. last year, we, we reached, based on what we could see from all of our stats on, on the internet, we reached over 36,000 people. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. So do you, do you see uh, going forward, uh, we've talked about this a little bit about the hybrid in-person and online performances. Do you see that, that that's in your future? Almost oh, definitely. I, I, I just can't see how 
you couldn't or how any theater company couldn't at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. it, while virtual theater is never going to replace the experience of live theater, it, it just can't. Mm-hmm. It becomes its own entity and it opens up the door for so many other possibilities that might not exist in live theater. For example, we could work with artists all over the world. We did a collaboration with a, a theater company in Japan this past January where we created two original short plays and we worked with artists from both TBTV and from the Freedom Theater, which is a company in Japan that, like ours, integrates disabled and non-disabled artists. So mm-hmm. that, that would not necessarily be possible right. <laughs> if we had to be together. Right. That's great. Mm-hmm. A lot of the conversations we've been having over this past year have been really to expand our our true understanding of what it means to be diverse and inclusive and accessible and anti-racist. And I know that there has been so much good work that has been going on to address these bigger questions. And I'd love to talk to all three of you about how you envision creating sustainable uh, programs that will continue this. I know that you've spoken about uh, some of it already, but if you have any other, even big wishes for how to cre- really create sustainable uh, programming that that will really continue this this work that we are just at the beginning of, Sarah. I think this goes back again to this theme that seems to be reoccurring for all of us here: is that really looking at what we're doing and learning from it and adapting and changing and making it better for the future. And and I think that that's something that we're always engaged in at Roundabout is, um, is how is this working? Who are we talking to? Who are we working with? And how do we expand that for the future and how do we create better for the future in a really thoughtful manner too and and so that's something that that is inherent in in all of these projects that we've been working on over this past year because it has been new and it has been it has all come together very quickly too is is what does that future look like what are the communities that who, that we want to work with in the future, how can we expand our networks, and and I and how can we expand who we're talking to? And I think that that's a big part of of ensuring future sustainability is how can we broaden the communities that we're working with so that we're reaching more and more people because the the need for all of this work is there and. We have a responsibility to to figure out how to bring people in, how to reach out to others, and and that's something that we we take seriously. I love everything you just said, and you, you've given me a lot of hope in that statement. So thank you, Anna. Do you want to add anything from the roundabout point of view? Yeah, I think that one of the things that we've talked about in the artistic department is how do we bake in some of these values of, of diversity and inclusion. And, and these there have been so many conversations, as you were saying, Christine, over the last year about how we bring this forward into the, the great reopening. And now we're kind of here and making sure that we plan a 
program, you know, or we, or we start working on a show or developing a show, um, going back to the methods and, and the, and the processes that we used pre pandemic. And then at the last minute sort of layer on, Oh, how are, how is this, working with our within the the EDI framework that we've talked about over the last year. I think that's where things get really sticky because when something is the final thought in a process, it's never going to really be accomplishing the goals and the and meeting the needs of of the people who who need to be included. And so making sure that when we start when we're on the kind of ground floor and I think as Sarah was saying that's what a lot of this work over the last year allowed for because we had to start from the ground floor. We couldn't build on top of things we had already done because that was it just wasn't a possibility. And so even when we are going back to programs and 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 methods of working that may feel more familiar, we have to stop at the very beginning and say, okay, where where are we missing, you know, something? Where can we inject some of these conversations and values that we've really been promoting over the last year in so that we're starting from a strong foundation and not just trying to meet some need at the very end because we feel like we missed it when when we were beginning. Yes, absolutely. I think one of the things that I've learned over this time has been to not be afraid to ask these difficult questions and not to not be afraid of of acknowledging that there is much to learn about each other about ourselves and again all of these questions that we we need to be intentional about exploring and, and and interrogating nicholas i know that your theater has at its core been doing the work that we've all been talking about. My question for you is slightly different in that I wonder how you envision things shifting in the future. It's such a wonderful question, Christine. Thank you. I think fundamentally, there just has to be a bit of a shift in perception in our mm -hmm. world. Over the, the last several years, we talk a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And what makes us all unique and different, and that's lovely. But I think we must first approach this from what, what makes us all the same? As artists, our goal is to, to sort of hold a mirror up to society, to represent what it is to be human. And so in order to do that in the best possible way, we have to recognize the humanity. I think we've reached a boiling point now where we're, we're forced to face what makes us all different and unique. From a disabled point of view, I think it's wonderful and very important that we create works by, for, and about disability. But I also would like to see companies and art makers just recognizing disabled artists as artists first and foremost, not just as disabled artists, because I think that sort of, once again, puts a limitation. And as art makers, you want to be limitless. As an, as an artist, I want to show that I can do anything. <laughs> and I don't want to just be limited by what people will see. That's right. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for that. I want to leave us with one final question for all three of you. I'd love to know any takeaways you have from the new collaborations you've had this past year? The biggest takeaway that I have is 
much like Anna said earlier, is that it is so important as we turn towards going back to quote normal, that we're really making sure that we're thinking about things from the very foundation and how we can change things up and how we can be adaptable and how we can shake up what we're doing so that we come back better for the future. I think I'll leave it at that. Great. Thank you so much. Anna, do you have something to add? I, I want to keep looking and keep searching. And that's such a part of my job in the first place. But really, over the last year, I have been opened up to see how many more exciting artists and works I can find and, and that are out there when I'm not just sort of limited to what I'm able to actually get myself to in New York. And so I'm excited to continue that uh looking beyond my kind of where I'm where I feel most comfortable to find artists from all different backgrounds who really have rich exciting voices to share with the roundabout audiences and other audiences thank you Nicholas any takeaways from your new collaborations this year oh my goodness for for us and I feel I feel a little weird saying this but in the middle of this really awful pandemic which which sort of really limited us. I learned so much and we had such an outstandingly productive year. Uh, we worked with so many new artists that we had never worked with before. We created so much new work. I, I found it really exciting in our ability to adapt to the, the circumstances and to, and to not only adapt, but to be able to thrive. So I feel it, this has opened so many new doors for us, not only the technology, but just in our ability to reach so many new, so many other people and to be able to work with so many other new people. So I feel the only way, the only way we can have an impact on people is to just constantly be there for them and to not only create work for them, but to create work with them. So I hope that we can continue doing this both virtually and live in person for years to come. Thank you so much. I can't wait to see what both theaters continue to do. Thank you to all our guests today for lending us their time and sharing their thoughts. For more info about the Reverb Festival and the Refocus Initiative, visit roundabout.org. To learn more about theater breaking through barriers, visit tbtb.org. Talkback is a production of the Dramatist Guild of America. It's produced by Amy Von Masick, Sarah Storm, and me, Christine Toy Johnson. Robert Delaney Prime mixes our show. Our theme music is by Andrea Daly. Our guest producer on this episode is Anita Hollander. The Dramatist Guild Presents Talkback is distributed by the Broadway Podcast Network. Tell us what you thought about this episode by using hashtag DGTalkback. As always, to be continued. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org, because only together we rise. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.